So this is the fourth uh, in a series that we're having of, of five messages, really looking at how we deal with almost difficult relationships in life. Uh, things, people we approve, disapprove of. Uh, we started off about that whole idea of including everything and everyone. And then uh, we looked at loving our enemies and, and how, how that works a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, uh, we looked at the nature of forgiveness. And I mentioned that when we forgive, we take the power of the action of whatever's been done to us. We take the power of the action about whatever has been done against us and we transform that through love into grace. That's the sort of thing that I was talking about, Lois. A very act of forgiveness, I said last week, the very act of forgiveness is alchemical in that it transforms a negative energy into a positive force of evolution that is grace. We move on consciousness through our forgiveness, through taking that negative energy that comes towards us and transforming it, consciously making a decision not to react in a way of violence. As that response for those who had loved ones killed in Charleston you know, turning that hateful energy into grace and that amazing scene of President Obama singing Amazing Grace at that, that eulogy. It's interesting that the actual word grace comes from the Latin gratia, which really has a meaning of thanksgiving and gratitude. That, that's really where the, the, the entomology comes from. And in religious terms, it's always meant... God's unmerited favor, love, or help. That's a traditional religious understanding of grace. God's unmerited favor, love, or help. So I think when we combine these two meanings, it's almost, grace is almost the thanks we get from God for participating in the divine purposes of life. It's almost the thanks we get for participating in the divine purposes of life that somehow our participation, whether it be through forgiveness or whatever other way that we're participating, somehow it releases grace. But, but you see, that doesn't quite hit the mark either. Because one of the key aspects of grace, as I said, is it's un- understood to be unmerited. By that I mean, it, you know, it doesn't come to us just because we're good, Grace. Richard Raw always says that God doesn't love us because we're good. We're good because God loves us. And it's sort of almost the other way around. And that lovely you know, quote from Matthew, you know, that God makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So there's an aspect where the grace is unmerited. It's, it's the same as that. But to me, that doesn't suggest arbitrariness. I think that's different, arbitrariness. Instead, I think it suggests an orderedness that does not take into account behavior. It's an orderedness that doesn't take into account behavior. In that way, grace exists, I think, as an aspect of order that makes up the universe. You know, like there being gold in them, their hills. You know, the gold is there whether you dig it up or not. 
But digging in the right place actually helps you to find it. The goal's just there. Paul talks about, Paul, I was once, <laughs> we were once in a, driving through Cyprus and Heather said to me, oh, Paul preached over there. I said, Paul who? <laughs> so, <laughs> typical me, you know, didn't have money, you know. Anyway, Paul, that Paul, he talks about having a thorn in his flesh in one particular bit that's often quoted. No one knows that, what that was. It could have been an illness or some, sort of some tendency he regretted. And it was something that, that was there for him. And then he says in, this, in that passage about that, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord for it to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. So he was really saying to Paul, you know, with his issue, it doesn't matter about the issue you've got. My grace is sufficient for you. And the word here, if you look it up, Entomology is great, I think, whether it's your own entomology or the Greek entomology of this. The word that's used in the Greek uh, um, New Testament is the word charis, which means a favor or a kindness. C-H-A-R-I-S, a gift, a, a favor or a kindness. And the suggestion here is that whatever our situation, whatever our situation, there is a fundamental kindness that is there for us. There's a fundamental kindness. It's reminiscent of that passage I mentioned last week, Romans 8, 28, which is which my favorite verse in the Bible. All things count for good for those that love the Lord. Which really means that if your heart's in that place, that whatever you're suffering will add towards your ultimate realization in the divine nature. All things count for good. Grace, I think, therefore, is not arbitrary. But it, I think grace is a seam of gold that sits under all of creation. It sits under all of our lives. And sometimes, sometimes that seam comes to the surface and we literally stumble over it. Whether we do good or not, and we're surprised by it. We just stumble on it. And other times, knowing that it's always there, we can rely on it. You know, by digging in the right place by opening ourselves to it, we can have it manifest and support us in our lives like Paul's thorn did. So there's that sense that there is an underlyingness that's just beneath the surface. And, you know, that, that's the essence of a faith in a divine nature, that there is that underlyingness that's there. By my power is made perfect in weakness. The appearance of grace is not dependent on power or weakness, and it will work in all situations. I think, you know, the idea of grace has a particular, you know, resonance in Christianity. It's it's almost sort of a Christian idea, grace. You know, we have the concept of God's grace, uh, and you can see that beginning of uh, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, where it starts off, in the beginning was the Word, that bit. And it goes on to say, the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, that's Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came to the Father, Father, full of grace and truth. So it's right at the center of all that, the idea of Jesus being full of grace. You know that famous 
those Catholics, that rosary prayer, Hail Mary, full of, yes, the Lord is with thee, full of grace. So grace is really in there as a sort of central concept in Christianity. But I think, you know, it's also does occur in other traditional religions. If you look at the Bhagavad Gita, it says in one point, and I always think it's so interesting, some of these verses, they could be from anywhere, but this is from the Bhagavad Gita. To, to know me is to know me, my innermost nature. The truth that I am, through this knowledge, he enters at once into my being. All that he does is offered before me in utter surrender. And then it says, for my grace is upon him. For my grace is upon him. He finds the eternal, the place unchanging. So in the Bhagavad Gita, there's the idea of, the, of my grace, the self's grace being upon whoever it is who gives themselves up. The idea of favor bestowed upon humanity. And in Buddhism as well, you have the grace of the unconditional compassion of the Buddha that embraces without exception all those from the most spiritually advanced to the most desperately evil. It is unmerited favor. And to me, that's a clear example of that concept of unmerited grace. And in Taoism, the Tao is like a well used but never used up. It is like the eternal void filled with infinite possibilities which again is that idea of grace, the idea of grace, an eternal unmerited blessing, always available to all, is pretty much across the world religions. And so I think really it's a description of an aspect of reality that all religions recognize. It is a part of the order that is our universe. Like, you know, I've often quoted Einstein's idea of, you know, the most important question, is the universe a friendly place or not? And you know, it is that friendly place that we're talking about. But that's the place that great, great, the part that grace plays in that, an undercurrent of love. And it's a great, very comforting thought that there is that undercurrent of love. And that undercurrent exists in all of us. It is the divine energy of creation. And like that gold under the mountain, it's available to all of us. And in a sense, our role in life is, is our role in life is to mine that grace, to use the circumstances of our lives, whatever they may be, to bring grace to the surface. Like using forgiveness as a way of changing our relationship with our environment. But I think also it even goes deeper than that. It's almost that we have to forgive the whole of reality for not being what we want it to be. We have to forgive all of reality, that it's not what we want it to be. We're always struggling with reality. It's not the way we want it to be. And to some extent, like a person, we have to forgive reality for not being that way. And we have to forgive ourselves as well for not being the people we think we ought to be. There is a fundamental position of forgiveness in the very nature of living life. And remember I said last week that forgiving was uh, forgive, you know, to completely let go of. We have to let go of our ideas about what life should be like. And this seemed to me, you know, I was driving, I thought this was so important. That actually we do try and hold reality to be a certain way. And when it isn't, we get jolly cross about it. 
We get jolly cross about the fact that it doesn't conform to the way that we want it to conform. And we do get cross about ourselves, that we aren't the person that we ought to be. And that takes forgiveness from just being, not just one person to another, but to seeing the whole of life as a process of reconciling ourselves to all that's around us and all that's within us, of universal forgiveness that's brought about and fueled by grace. I found a passage that Richard Raw wrote about this, um, and he, he, he mentioned it in his daily meditations recently. He said, to accept reality, to accept reality, is to forgive reality for being what it is, almost day by day, and sometimes even hour by hour. Such a practice creates patient and humble people to forgive reality. He goes on to say that our first forgiveness, it seems to me, is towards reality itself, to forgive it for being so broken, a mixture of good and bad. First, that paradox has to be overcome inside us. That paradox of the fact there's good and bad out there and we want to side with the good and, you know, it's forgiving all. And then when we allow God to, uh, it, to have us hold those opposites together within us, if we can hold those opposites together of forgiving all reality, then it becomes possible to do it over there with our neighbour and with our enemy. Once we start to forgive reality itself, then we can forgive more than that. And finally, our worldview and, dare I say the word, our politics begins to change. The way that we relate to everything. We no longer project our evil onto another country, another religion, a minority group, a race, or another political party. We don't project that because we forgive it. Richard Raw goes on to say, when we forgive, we choose the goodness of others over their faults. When we forgive, we choose the goodness of others over their faults. We experience God's goodness flowing through ourselves. And we also experience our capacity for goodness in a way that surprises us most. You know, we can be surprised by our own capacity for goodness and our own capacity to forgive. And we are, Richard Roth says, we are finally in touch with a much higher power. And we slowly learn to draw on that infinite source. We come from a different place. And that's the place of grace. So that, that root of forgiveness, not just of, of our enemies, not just a, but of reality, of everything out there, of the good and the bad within ourselves. And that's grace, drawing on that infinite source, that gold that lies beneath us all. And it comes from us being in that aspect of, giveness, of forgiveness for all creation, for all reality for all that's not what we expect, for the world that's not what we expect, for people that don't behave the way we think they ought to, and for ourselves. Life is therefore a process of continual forgiveness with the support of grace. It all sounds like bad news, but actually, you know, it is, it's a door once you see it open. You can see how to do this. We often think that when we have to forgive, then it's over. But as Gary, you know, read last week, not seven times we have to forgive, but 77 times. And that suggests that life is about bearing it. You have to bear that. And we don't like bearing it. We think we should, you know, once we do something, the pain should go away. But it doesn't. And we have to acknowledge that there is an aspect of life that we have to bear. And once we, once we give up to bearing 
then we're able to deal with that pain that's involved in bearing. We have to bear the weight of forgiveness continually as a way of bridging the gap between what we expect life to bring us and what it actually brings us. And that's the bearing of life. And the bearing of that weight is love. The bearing of that weight. We All of us have that weight to bear. And when we don't want to bear it, we just chuck it away. We say, I'm not going to deal with that. It's their fault. But you're asked to bear that weight. That gap, that expectation and reality is the gap between, actually, it's the gap between the illusion of separation and the actuality of wholeness. The gap is the gap between the illusion of separation and the actuality of wholeness. We forgive ourselves and we forgive our world into a place where we experience the wholeness of all things, the oneness of all things, the unity of consciousness that's at the heart of all things. And it's grace that helps us to keep bearing that burden on behalf of all. By holding that wholeness in ourselves, we contribute it as part of our being. In holding that, in forgiving within ourselves, we contribute something to the world. In order for us to be able to do that, we have to decide to rely on grace, to rely on under, that underlying goodness rather than our own strength. Because no matter how you think it, you can't do it on your own. There's too much stuff involved, so much anger, too much grief, too much emotion, too much, you know, that stops you doing it. So often think we, we think we have to use our strength to get things done. But the message of grace, the understanding that there is a blessing that's at the heart of all reality, encourages us to let go into grace. Which is why Paul hears God say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is something we can completely rely on. It is the fuel that will enable us to bear with the forgiveness that is asked of us by the world. And the result of the revealing of that grace to our world is the movement of evolution towards wholeness. That's how evolution moves forward. Through us taking on the wholeness within ourselves and becoming part of that wholeness. So therefore is more wholeness in the world towards a world being healed of the illusion of separation. Again, Richard Raw says, our worldview and our politics change. We can no longer project our evil onto another country, another religion, another minority group, another race, another political party. We become agents of change in the world. And that's how it happens. That is the true nature of evolution. And in the end, we become that grace and it takes us into places where it can be most used. You know, it may, may just start with little things. But as grace is revealed in our lives, so it creates its own momentum. And we're asked to bear more and see more and know that we can take on more because it's not our strength that's involved, but it's grace within us. And so when you look out of the world and you see things that you don't like or things that are not as you would expect them to be, you're really being asked to forgive the world to forgive it for being broken. We're in need not only of individual forgiveness, we're in need of national, global, and cosmic forgiveness. And that forgiveness is driven by and produces grace. And then that brings healing and wholeness to the world rather than more conflict. It's really the way that nonviolence works. And it's through that reality of grace that this comes about. And, you know, I think it has to be a conscious thing. 
It's something we take into our meditation, into our prayer time, and we consciously deal with it because it's too late if we try and deal with it in the moment. It's often too late. You know, when life comes to us so fast that it's too late to try and do it. We have to take the difference between us and what we expect of reality, what it actually is, and we have to reconcile ourselves to that consciously in those quiet moments, to take the feelings and thoughts we have and to forgive them giving them away so that we can be with the reality rather than what we think it should be. I'm ending now, so you can forgive me for being too long, if that's necessary. We often think that there are two realities in life. You know, we think there's a reality of what's going on inside us, you know, our emotions and our thoughts, and then we have what's going on outside us. But, you know, that's an illusion. There is only one reality. You know, if you want to know what non-dual consciousness means, it is the fact that there is only one reality. That's what it's saying. There is not two things going on. And our job is to have the reality of what we see as being on the outside reflect what's going on inside us, to be congruent, the two to be congruent within each other. We have the integrity of our inner reality. When we have integrity, our inner reality conforms and reflects the outer reality. That's integrity. When our ideas and emotions are congruent with what's going on around us, we arrive at a point of forgiveness, and then grace takes over. And next week, which is the last week on this thing, we're going to be looking at those two realities, the inner reality and the outer reality, and how to develop our integrity through our relationship between the two. I'm done. (laughs) The inner reality is now stopped from the page. And let's just pray. And I think, of course, on all our minds now, we've just got what's going on in Florida. Many people from this congregation have places in Florida, and we just do pray for that place, for safety. Particularly think of those on Fisher Island, people we know there, people we know up and down the coast. People still suffering as well from Hurricane Harvey. And we just, we just forgive our world and hold that disaster in our hearts. I think of all those suffering in war zones as well, in prisons, in hospitals, people who are hungry and homeless, people who feel left out of the world. Lord, we just pray that there may be a reconciling of experience in the world and that we can start with our own hearts. We pray for those who are really suffering today. We do particularly think of uh, the family of Jean Hummond, who's Sarah Stevens' mother who died yesterday. Just pray for Sarah and her family. I think of Karen Friedberg's daughter, Kendra, whose anniversary of her death is in this few days now. We just pray for that family. Pray for the family of Angus Graham, of Carlin Brightwell and Ryan Marcel and of Jack Kasky. Especially pray for Al, recovering. For Sharon Wells, recovering. And people we know are ill at the moment, particularly Elise Strickland and Lindley, Joan Valentine, 
Guy Bouguet, Soleil, Tegan Sullivan, Barbara Orcutt, Molly Coman, Pat Smith, Will Welsh and Patricia Hill. Lord, we do ask your blessing and healing power on those people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.